podcasting in the uh, the chateau. We just touched down. We just touched down from, uh, from watching a little short from film. A short film. Uh, I'm your host, Mason. I'm your other host, Noah. This is uh, it's on the list. This is episode six. six? This yeah. is the sixth in the recording schedule. We uh, aren't sure quite if these are going to be released in recording schedule or uh, otherwise. Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but this is a media podcast about uh, cool stuff, media, uh, books, so far only albums and uh, movies. So maybe some other stuff. Maybe some other stuff coming up soon. Uh, if we sound a little down, it's just because we've been uh, uh, contemplating some shit. <laughs> just kind of we, we just a hot a hot second ago finished watching. Uh, well, today, folks, uh, instead of our usual uh, album movie as we've been doing the last couple episodes, we are doing. Adding a little bit of a uh, little, little something else into the stew here. We're adding little, a short film. Little splash. Little splash. Uh, short film, which is that we're going to be our little amuse bouche before we get into the uh, other stuff we're going to talk about today. We are talking about first at the top. It is called Yearbook by Bernardo Brito. Bernardo Brito, and this is something Noah brought to the podcast. Yeah, so I'm I'm responsible for the short and the uh, <laughs> and for the feature that we're going to talk about today. Also. You might be able to hear the fun music in the background. You might. On this We're not one. sure. Yeah. So uh, if you do, congratulations. Some uh, royalty-free pirated music for you. <laughs> uh, it doesn't sound good, but it's free. So it's bumping. It's bumping under. It, my neighbor, my downstairs neighbors always just bump their music. It's fun. It's it's. I like it. It's a fun little. It adds a little character to the place. Uh, so yearbook, Bernardo Brito. Um, this is a uh, six-minute-long animated short, winner of the short film jury prize for animation at Sundance 2014. Uh, you can find it on YouTube, uh, not even at YouTube, you can find it on the internet just by looking up Yearbook Bernardo Brito, it was on Short of the Week. That's where I found it. Uh, so how long ago have you, uh, has, have you, has it been since you've seen this, uh... <laughs> right, like just a second ago. Okay, so it's before that. <laughs> when we just watched it, right before hitting record. Uh, <laughs> First time I ever came across it, though, is, uh, on our favorite website of all time, Letterboxd. Hell yeah. So, you know, what I, one of my favorite things about Letterboxd is is the user-created lists. Yeah. I love when people, like, find an interesting thread or an interesting, like, connecting thing or whatever, or, like, why are all these movies on a certain list together? Like, right, blah, blah, right. blah. And I found one that was called, I think, called just called Sad Bastard Cinema or something <laughs> oh, like boy. that. Yeah, this is certainly one of those. <laughs> and it was, like, I was just kind of, like, clicking through, and I'm like, oh, what's on there? And you have stuff on there, like adaptation or like about Schmidt or like just like stuff on there. I'm like, yep, love those movies. Yep, like this kind of movie. And then, you know, click all the way to the end of the list. And there's this movie that I had legitimately never heard of. I'd never seen the poster for. I didn't know what it was, but I clicked on it. And it's this little short animation called Yearbook by Bernardo Brito. And I think the I don't know, I'm not going to get this perfect, but I think the synopsis on it was like a man is tasked with cataloging all of human history right. before you know, the inevitable end of the earth due to like some interference with alien life or something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. which lots of tackle in six minutes, but it gets done. Well, it's what's interesting is that that is true. Yes. That that is what the short is kind of about. That's like the kind of the, oops, I just got oops. text here. Uh, that's kind of the like plot frame around what it's actually about. Yeah. 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 So, and I, the, I just want to talk about like the animation style on this too. Is sure. Just, I love the animation. Well, you can probably touch back on it, but I loved how this is animated. Uh, but the, that is generally the plot. But yeah. It's more like, um, this sort of five minute long meditation about like human existence, human existence and what we owe to future generations and kind of how, 
that is an impossible task for any one person to handle on their own. That as well, um, that that is definitely a, like what I think is like one slice of the pie. Yeah. And I think the other slice of the pie that really keeps me coming back to this uh-huh. is who gets remembered. Yeah. Why do they get remembered? And then who's going to remember the people that didn't do anything for the history books? Yeah. And that to me is like unanswerable. That is super. Yeah. That's a, that is always like, did you, we read this book in, in, uh, high school. I think it was my favorite book that we read in class. It was called Montana 1948. No, never heard of it. Never heard of it. Oh my God. I don't know how our school suburbs of Chicago came across this and like made it sort of like required lit, uh, like my sophomore year, I want to say. Um, but it's a story, it's this, like, super low-key book about this kid who lives in Montana in 1948. Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm with you so far, baby. And he, uh, small town, his uncle is, like, the beloved, charismatic, uh, like, town doctor. Cool. Uh, his dad is this sort of, like, um... He, I think he got hurt, like, hurt in the war, but he has, like, some sort of, like, ailment where, like, he limps, like, there's something fucked okay. up with his leg. Uh, and he's, like, a much more sort of, like, stolid, uh, just, like, get-the-business-done kind of guy. Yeah, no not very stone. Yeah, not very... Uh, Expressive? Yeah, and he, it, the boy comes from a family of men that aren't a very uh, emotionally forthright. Sure. As one would be in 1948. But the plot of it is... And it's like weirdly kind of prescient to be reading it in 2010. Was the, um, the charismatic uncle doctor gets accused of raping and uh, doing worse things to um, Native American women that live just outside the town? Wow! And it's kind of about how that breaks the family apart. Sure. But the conclusion it gets to uh, is without spoiling too much. The kind of the crux of it isn't like this like plot thing of like a, it's not a who done it really. Sure. It's more of like. Um, these sort of smaller, intimate human stories are the ones that are going to get lost in, like, the sweep of history. Sure. Um, With the whole context of Native Americans. Exactly. Yeah. And what's... I, talking about just 1948 to... Uh, 1945 and World War II to bring it back to the short, the when this man is tasked... So the plot begins when this man is tasked to uh, uh, preserve all things that are worthy of preservation from human experience. Yeah. When there's an unnamed protagonist, an unnamed protagonist uh, is, and I love the way that this character is designed. He's just kind of like a dumpy guy with like a like a thin a thin beard. He looks like a guy you'd see in the office, and like yeah, like an argyle like an argyle sweater vest, basically, yeah. and like curly curly he's hair. Yeah, got just this like little life, but you don't really know a ton about him. Yeah, his wife cooks catfish every day for breakfast, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And he's tasked with um, preserving all of uh, human life and human experience uh, before the aliens destroy. The aliens have sent a missile to Earth that's going to destroy us in 17 years or something. And instead of prevent, and instead of like, we don't follow if there's any like kind of preventative measures taken against this yeah. apocalyptic event. Another question that we'll never know. To um, and uh, instead, he's like, we need you to just sort of sit in this computer lab and just like get all the names and dates. And he does that for uh, 13 years before the hard drive sputters out. And he's like, this is all the space that we and the people that are tasked with him are like, this is all the space that we can allow you to do it. And then becomes the task of. Uh, condensing history and what he and what and it's up to his discretion of yeah. what do people really need to remember right and it's interesting that he starts with it's kind of a I think that there's also another slice of this pie this is a, a, a chunky th- this is a chunky piece of pie there's and a lot of things to cut off here and chew on what's so amazing that, that it all <laughs> happens within five six minutes five minutes this is like 
there are, like, you know, Terrence Malick, I think, is a guy that, like, contemplates these huge answers about, like, humanity and stuff in, like, the, in, like, a, a feature, feature film sort yeah. of space. It's so hard, and people have tried for years and years and years, and there's, like, just so many, like, uh, bad movies, bad feature-length movies that are like, what does it mean yep. to be human? And this just gets it, like, I think to me, just to kind of, like, just touch and go on, because I think that you can find it on YouTube. I don't want to talk about it too much, so, you, like, the audience should go out and look for it. 100%. But it is just, like, there is, like, it's it's so... Uh, I went to the Marciano Art Foundation yesterday, uh, which is this free museum down the road on on uh, uh, on uh, Wilshire, from sure. where I live. And... Um, uh, and I, I do it because it's free and I can walk to it, which is like kind of my criteria of things I can do on my day. I'm like, yeah, is sure. it free? Can I walk to it or take the bus? Um, but there was this uh, short film, like 20-something minutes long, um, that would make like an interesting, I think, double pairing with with, okay. with this movie. It was called um, it's called The Great Silence. The Great Silence, uh, okay. From 2014, directed, uh, it's directed by, uh, it's written by Ted Chang, did okay. some of the, uh, it's, so it's basically about like, it's pictures of uh, around the Puerto Rican rainforest about in, uh, where the big sort of Arecibo satellite is. Okay. Um, which was, uh, if you're if any James Bond fans in the house know it from the finale of GoldenEye. Okay. Um, the big satellite relay. And that's basically made to like shoot like kind of uh, uh, looking for intelligent life up into the galaxy. Sure, sure, sure. But it's also sort of, but the... The, that short is concerned with it's basically from the perspective and it's communicated in subtitles it's from the perspective of this endangered species of parrots oh and interesting and it's the these parrots say like sort of saying that like you know human beings are spending so much time looking for intelligent life elsewhere when there was always the possibility of intelligent life on earth on and earth. I think that it's like that's another sort of thing about the like I sat in this like dark room watched it replay because I came in towards the end but I watched it replay and I was just thinking like uh, it's a thing that just makes you contemplate humanity like sort of just like our our scope and like the things that we've like kind of destroyed in order to learn more about things that are bigger than us gotcha and this is more of a story that made me think about humanity and like the things that we preserve and share interesting uh, and I think it's gonna like come up later with the movie that we have I think so too I, I think this makes a great double feature with the movie uh, that we're going to talk about later. But, yeah, this is a definite recommend for me. Please go find it. Without a doubt. It yeah. takes five minutes. Five minutes of your time. Watch it, like, uh, watch it at work. Like, you, if you just, no like... No kidding, yeah. Get finished, like, like typing in numbers into a spreadsheet or something, and you need to, like... Take a breather. Take, take a breather. Put this on, think about life, and then get back to your... Your, 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 your job. Tasks. <laughs> um, it's interesting that you brought up The Great Silence. I haven't seen it. I've only, like, saw that you logged it on Letterboxd. But I actually, when I think of this, I actually think of another companion piece uh -huh. to this, which is a short story. Are you at all familiar with Tobias Wolff's work? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay, Tobias Wolff, really interesting writer, okay. uh, writes a lot of short stories, has okay. written some novels. His biggest thing that probably people in the film community know is he wrote This Boy's Life, which was turned into a film with Leo DiCaprio and Robert oh, De Niro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So Tobias Wolff wrote a short story called Bullet in the Brain. Oh, boy. Okay. Which I highly recommend as well. Like, super great. Uh, I don't know if it's underappreciated yeah. or underrated <laughs> or whatever, but, like, I read it in my short story class that I took in college. Um, and it does a really interesting thing that I think is really challenging, especially in a short work. I don't know how long it is. It's less than 10 pages long as far as I remember. Okay. But you meet a character who, for all intents and purposes, you kind of think is a huge douchebag. 
like in the beginning okay. of the piece. Okay. And he's waiting in line at the bank, and a robbery occurs. Yeah. In the bank. Okay. And I don't want to say anything else, but it has a very reflective nature to it. Interesting. With this okay. character who, for all intents and purposes, is a douchebag. Okay. But you start to get his kind of reflecting on his life when he's in this situation. And again, I don't want to spoil anything. I want people to go out and read it. Interesting. But okay. if you pair Bullet in the Brain, Yearbook, The Great Silence, yeah. and the movie we're going to talk about later, <laughs> yeah. makes for a really interesting day of consuming. Very interesting day of consuming. Uh... So, two recommends for us. Totally. Big time recommend. Bump my laptop there. Bump it. Bump it. Bump Louder. my laptop here. Uh, <laughs> blowing out the speakers. We are... <laughs> We're fucking around fucking today. Fucking around today. This is a really loose episode, uh, as, as opposed to all of our tight episodes <laughs> that we've done I was so just going to say, this is... I don't know. This might be the tightest episode This might be the tightest yet. episode. So, so, we're going to pivot slightly to the album of the week, which, which was, was a Mason a, choice. Mason choice. So, last time we had a co-host choice, we talked about uh, Randy Newman's 1974 album. Last time we talked about what good old Rocky, boys. Rocky brought on. Uh, well, oh. I'm saying, like, with, between, oh, yes. between the two of us, yes. we talked about Good Old Boys. Yes, we did. Randy Newman's, I think, 74 release, Good Old Boys. Uh, yeah. Good Old Boys, Randy Newman, I'm checking this right now. Check 74, 10, 10 September, 1974. Love it. Uh, come, oh, that's uh, just past the 45th anniversary of Randy Newman's Good Old Boys, everybody. Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, today we are talking about another album from the 70s. Hell yeah, about four years later, right? 1978. Yep. Uh, we are talking about, I'm just pulling this up, we are talking about uh, Warren Zevon's third recorded album, but for sort of all intents and purposes, his sophomore effort. Okay. And I'll get into this history later. Uh, Excitable Boy. I'll tell you about my relationship with Warren Zevon first. Uh, definitely. I'd okay. love to hear it. So, uh, to be honest with you, the first time I ever heard something that Warren Zevon did is, do you remember that Kid Rock song, All Summer Long? You, I would like, I can't wait to get into that. <laughs> so, the song All Summer Long, which is Kid Rock and someone else, right? Right, is yeah, it yeah, Cheryl, yeah, It's not Cheryl Crow, is it? No, that's, pic- that's Picture. The, uh, I'll take your word from it. I'm not okay. a huge Kid Rock. Neither am I. <laughs> but, so I heard that song, All Summer Long, by Kid Rock, and I was like, oh, that's a nice little piano riff. But I thought it was Sweet Home Alabama. That's the, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So I thought it was Sweet Home Alabama, and I was like, oh, I'm a dumbass kid. I like Sweet Home Alabama. Like, I love Forrest Gump. That's my favorite movie when I'm a little <laughs> kid. Like, who cares? And so I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then I hear Werewolves of, Werewolves of London years right. later going, oh, this guy stole from Sweet well, Home here's Alabama. Here's what's interesting. <laughs> interesting. So the, the first... The first paragraph on the All Summer Long parentheses Kid Rock song wiki is All Summer Long is a song by American recording artist Kid Rock released in 2008. It's insane to think that song's a decade old. I know. As the third single from his seventh studio, <laughs> at least seven studio albums under yeah. his belt, uh, Rock and Roll Jesus. The song samples two hit songs from the 70s, Werewolves of London and Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, little Noah got it. Little Noah got it. Woo-hoo! Uh, so <laughs> that was your first exposure to Warren Zevon. That was my first exposure to Warren Zevon, and then I heard the song Werewolves of London. It was on one of those, like, Sirius XM channels right, or something, right. and I was like... This sucks. <laughs> oh, what? Uh, that's when I, when I first heard it. I was like, why would anyone want to listen to this? He's not really even singing. But that was like a long time ago. That was when I was... Um, a younger man. <laughs> a younger man. Much more, much, much mis- more misunderstood. And I was just like, "Who? I don't want to listen to this guy. But then you keep listening to, you know, you hear it every now and again. And I like it. I like that song. And yeah. I think that this is an album that 
when you said to me, I think you're going to like this album, uh-huh. I figured this he's probably going off the fact that I like Good Old Boys. Right. Because it's a similar type of album, yes. but it's not the same. Exactly. It's very different musically, and it's very different lyrically. Yes. But they're very similar in terms of what type of music it is. This is why I wanted to cover Warren Zevon. Uh, what is it about him specifically? Uh, so I think it is... It's... it's uh, there's a lot of a lot of his songs are sort of like tied up in like just sort of my de- like my just sort of like DNA and I suppose as a human. My dad was a big Zevon fan Got it. growing up. Played um, so like like you. I think the first song that I ever heard of his was Werewolves of London on like a classic rock station sure. or something. And then like I'd be driving around with my dad and he had one of the old timey like uh, 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 trans like the the FM transponders on the sure. iPhone. You know, yeah. And he, like he had an old iPod and he would just like play. Um, all the like the kind of the hits of Zevon that weren't just uh, Werewolves of London. I would just like be tuning it out, but they still like got stuck in me. Sure. Uh, graduate from college, come to Los Angeles, just driving around trying to figure out my uh, my my life or whatever. And then I come across I think his 2017 album or I'm uh, not 2017 2007 uh, collection of collection of just sort of like demos and outtakes that his family got together after he passed. Sure. And listen to that, I was just, like, kind of hearing all these works in progress, and I'm like, I gotta give this guy another shot, so I started at the beginning and listened to Warren Zevon's album all the way through, and sure. for whatever reason, it was like, I'm like, this is my album about Los Angeles. Wow. This is, like, nobody understands the city, at me being 22 years old, more than Warren Zevon did at 29 in 1975 or whatever the fuck, and then from there, it was like, I'm gonna listen to every other album. Sure. Um, so I was between doing that... Um, Excitable Boy and uh, Bad Luck Streak in Dancing School, which is his eighty, his fourth album in like eighty three or something. And cool. I was like, "Are we going to cover all three? And I'm like, "Let's let's eke it out." Um, and I think that uh, I decided to choose this one as like our way into Zevon because sure. it's kind of accessible in that way. It's extremely accessible, and I just think that um, these are like kind of his most his poppiest songs that you can just like sort of enjoy and just like kind of groove along to but there's also a, a ton of just like great um stuff that you want with like the lyrics like sure. the stuff the, the Zevon for me is like how good just like the sort of the the building of like the base of the the music is and then him putting these like really darkly these darkly comic and satirical lyrics on top sure. of it um so all that being said what'd you think of this album <laughs> I liked it Um, Yeah. I probably would not have listened to it had I not had to listen to it for the podcast. Right. But I liked it. Yeah. Um, I'll say it straight up. Not going to fully recommend the album. Sure thing. But I liked the album. Yeah. I liked listening to the album. I think my favorite tracks are Accidentally Like a Martyr. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, actually, I listened to the the remaster, and I don't know if these tracks were on the remaster, but Tools Blues. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. yeah. That's from Wanted Dead or Alive. His first one. Yeah, Tools Blues. It ended up somehow on his 2007 remaster. So those are probably my favorite. Lawyers, Guns, and Money is really fun. Lawyers, Guns, and Money fucking rocks. I want to do that at karaoke so bad. (laughs) Dude, that's... Talk about... Talk about a karaoke song that you're doing just for you, because anyone exactly. else out there is gonna be like, "What the fuck is this guy?" Singing? Exactly, I know. <laughs> but I like this album. I think it's a, uh, it's definitely in that vein of Randy Newman, and it's yeah. definitely in that vein of you know who's a huge Warren Zevon fan is Tim Heidegger. That makes sense. Huge Warren Zevon fan. Like, do you listen to that at all? The Tim I've Heidegger's listened to music? in Glendale. Okay, it's the only album I've listened to top to bottom, and that's a very like kind of as Warren Zevon self-titled is to like kind of it. it 
I think that his self-titled, Warren's Yvonne self-titled, and, and uh, in Glendale are very similar albums. I think they are, too, and I also think that his newest album, What the Broken Hearted Do, there's some good Zivon stuff gotcha. in there. He's got this song uh, called When I Get Up, mm-hmm. which is just kind of about how he, like, just kind of wants to go back to bed <laughs> when he gets up. And he's got this great music video for it where he had this, like, and there's, like, a true story behind it, and it's evident in the music video because he's sitting in an office with, mm. I think, a, either a director or a producer. I can't remember which. But he's explaining to him. He's like, yeah, thanks for, so much for meeting with me. Like, here's, like, all the stuff that I want to do, like, in the music video. And he's, like, explaining the idea. And then he's like, yeah, but then when it starts and the music starts uh-huh. and he's singing the song, like, sitting in the office uh-huh. while he's explaining to him, like, what he wants to do for the music video uh-huh. he goes through the entire song and he's like so yeah like that's my idea and he's talking about how he wants like like a hundred like backup dancers and like all these lights in this big sound stage and the guy just goes yeah we don't really have the money for that <laughs> and then he's like oh okay well I'll figure something else yeah. out and then just like walks out and that's the music video for the song when I get that's up that's awesome it's awesome and so long long roundabout way of saying I like Warren Zevon yeah. I like this album um, definitely not so. Like I said, not something I probably would have listened to on my own time uh, if I wasn't doing a podcast. But definitely something that I think is worth discovering if you like that music already. Right. I think, and especially like uh, I'm, uh, we're recording this on September 14th, just a date, a day after uh, Alex Cameron's Miami Memory came out. Uh oh. I'd love to ch- cover Cameron on the Alex Cameron on the show. Also, if we think of a way to cover contemporary folk, we can. Why uh, not? We can. Um, and I think Alex Cameron also, also reminds me a lot of Warren Zevon, just in just the kind of the kind of energy that they both bring to sure. the scene. Um, Excitable Boy was is not my favorite Zevon album. I okay. don't think uh, I th- don't quite. I think it might be Bad Luck Streak and Dancing School, which is the '83 release. '83 release, yeah. But that one, I think you need a little more of him under your belt. But I think that this is just like if you only know him through Werewolves of London. This is the so- album that Werewolves of London yeah. is on, and that um, that's another song I really want to do a karaoke just because I, I anytime I listen to the song, I just love to chew on the line "Little old lady got mutilated late last night." Sure, which is just such a great like. Ugh, I just love his like sort of the lyrics and just like he, nobody really writes lyrics like him or I don't think has anymore. Sure, um, a lot of his influences. Um, he sort of counted like sort of like like novelists and like movies oh, before uh, uh, before like other musicians as like his his influences. Sure, um, and he's like more he's like classically trained. Uh, I think he met Strav- like he moved to L.A. and oh, yes. met Stravinsky yes, when, at a that. very young age. Yeah. Um, so he has this like technical prowess, and then he just writes these really like kind of just darkly funny short stories. Like uh, the title track, Excitable Boy, which is this, uh, it's it's this uh, really bouncy, fun song about a boy, about kind of like how society um, uh, let this, uh, ve- this boy with very violent tendencies uh, just kind of let him off the hook for his entire yeah, life. Yeah, let him out on the streets. So big time content warning for that song, <laughs> if you're thinking of listening to it, um, because... Uh, the first the excitable boy comes down to dinner in his Sunday best and rubs a pot roast all over his chest. Scary. Then he goes to uh, a movie at the theater and bites the usherette's leg in the dark. And things escalate from there to uh, an unfortunate... Uh, uh, a Demise. Poor, a poor, unfortunate uh, prom date. Uh, and then in the aftermath of that, which uh, I thought I... 
um, muted my WhatsApp, but um, we love WhatsApp. We love, we love WhatsApp. Sponsored folks. by WhatsApp. Sponsored by WhatsApp. This episode, not actually sponsored by WhatsApp. WhatsApp, please sponsor us. Please sponsor us. Um, but I think what's funny about that song is, um, in maybe when we talk about, it, I was thinking about this a lot when listening to the Miami Memory. Is that he's not endorsing the behavior. He's just sort of like there's like an observational lens on the he's thing. He's talking about it in a way. In which, yeah, he's not endorsing the behavior, but he's saying, this is happening. Yeah. And like, this is the thing that boys do. <laughs> this is happening, and I don't know, maybe this will get you to think about it. Yeah, I don't I don't want to, I'm hesitant to say that it's ahead of its time in that regard, but I think that it is a very interesting song to listen to in, a, in like, a post-Me Too sure. sort of context. Sure. Um, and especially, like, sort of thinking about, like, you know, your idea and your history of the rock and roller or whatever. Like, right. A lot of, like, the kind of rock and roll guys around this time, I think, would have been described as excitable boys. Sure, no, 100%. And even, and, like, to Zevon's, like, to his biography, he's not really a guy that's known for uh, being super respectful and stable. Nope. Um, he himself could be an excitable boy. Is, and that's why I think people thought that it was autobiographical. Sure. And it's like a little thing, a difficult thing to chew on. Uh, I like, I, this is, again, this isn't my favorite Zevon song, but I, album, but I just, I listened to, I was loved listening to every single song on this sure. album, you know. Uh, again, I, I would recommend it like, um, God, I would recommend it just because I like I love Zeon sure. so much, and I kind of just wanted to get his due. And my like, God, Johnny Strikes Up the Band is great. Rolling the Headless Thompson Gunner is that's also, a crazy song. That's also a fucking just a funny song, and nobody's written like anything like it. It's about it's like this kind of like uh, this macabre like gothic. Uh, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's very gothic, but about this like uh, Norwegian Thompson Gunner who gets uh, involved with these... Like, all the songs are very political, too, and there's, like, a political bent towards his writing that continues in, in the 80s. But this is about, like, a guy that joins a uh, a gunner, like, a U.S. Army force to, to gun down, like, kind of rebel forces in west or east or west Africa, or in the Congo, and then he gets betrayed by a guy and comes back as a ghost to, to as with a vengeance. Uh, and sure. it's really fucking funny. Again, Accidentally Like a Martyr, your favorite song. That's I think a it's great a, song. Uh, I think... He, there's this uh, a tender side to him. Agreed. There's a there's parts where he legitimately just does kind of ballads. Yeah, and that's kind of what I liked the most was like yes he can be like satirical and dark. Yeah, but I like knowing that. Okay. in the ballads. Yes, you know like, I think that we, oh, we should cover Warren's the self title because there's a lot of good ballads on that one. Can I say one thing about the rock and rollers? Yes. So if you go to the Wikipedia. Article for Excitable Boy. Today's episode also sponsored by Wikipedia. Also sponsored by Wikipedia. Uh, we love it. The additional personnel section. Ready? Yes, Here please we read go. this. Please read this. Carla Bonoff, uh-huh. who has had her own career. I'm just going to read the ones that just everyone's going to know. Yes, yes, yes. Jackson Brown. Yeah, man. Guitar, harmony, and backing vocals. John McVie, who was part of Fleetwood Mac. Uh-huh. Bass on Werewolves of London. Mick Fleetwood, drums <laughs> yep. on Werewolves of London. Yep. Linda Ronstadt. Yep. Backing and harmony vocals on Excitable Boy. Uh-huh. Just crazy. And then Waddy Watchtel, who did guitar synthesizers and harmony he's, and backing vocals. Oh, my vocals. God. He's like a legend, like a legendary L.A. session musician. And Jennifer Warren said the harmony with uh, Linda Ronstadt. And she's known for, um, she uh, was close with Leonard Cohen. She collaborated with him a lot. And I think... 
I believe that her biggest one, I'm on her uh, Wikipedia right now, I'm trying to remember, I think she was the, the lady in uh, The Time of My Life. Regardless of, like, I, there's, like, six or seven people that I didn't name, but that's because they're not household names, but, like, yeah, 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 they yeah. were all top of their game, top of the line, session, session musicians, and, like, public probably will never really know them. Exactly. But, like, for example, you have Bob Glaub, who is a bass guitar player on Rollin' the Headless Gunner, Excitable Boy, and Nighttime in the Switching Yard, which that's probably the craziest song on the album. That's the one that, like, sticks out the most to me, where it's just, like, uh, it's just basically kind of like a, like a genre exercise, almost. It There's feels like, like funky, it, yeah. Like, just doing, like, a funky, like, kind of bass them. It almost feels like he had, like, one string that he yeah. was like, what can I do with one string? Exactly. <laughs> but so, like, Bob Glaub, he was this, this bass player, session musician. Here's just some of the people that he was a session musician for. Journey, Bruce Springsteen, <sighs> Neil Diamond, <laughs> Bob Dylan, Ringo Starr, Donna Summer, John Lennon, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. God, we stand, we stand session musicians on, it's on the list. Seriously. We love, like we stand Bob Glaub. Oh, fuck. Have you ever seen the Wrecking Crew documentary? I've never seen it. No. Oh, it was on Netflix for a little bit, and it's like, it's uh, made by, uh, fuck, uh, the guitarist in the Wrecking Crew, his son made a documentary about their, like, just, uh, about them. About them. And if you're not familiar with the Wrecking Crew, they did, like, kind of all the, um, session playing. All the session playing for, like, Brian Wilson and, and for Pet Sounds. Yeah. Um, for uh, Glenn C- Glenn Campbell was one of them for a little bit before oh, he started his solo career. Uh, great, great at like LA recording uh, kind of legends and just basically like kind of the best musicians of all time that in some way. Money could buy. Yeah, um, um, that's all I have to say about Mr. Zevon in this yeah. album. I like it. Uh, if you like Randy Newman or you like those kind of seventies artists, songwriters, yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Give it a shot. I'm not going to guarantee that you'll like it. It's very different, but there's going to be something in there you exactly. like. I, uh, I, yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, yeah. Uh, recommend for me, not as, I w- it wouldn't be my first Zevon if, it wouldn't be my first choice of Zevon if I was going to put on an album to listen to, but I think that it's a good primer for just getting you into like kind of his voice and his, his sure. world. Uh, and again, just like the kind of the song craft and just like the craft of listening to this thing. It's just, it just brings me so much pleasure. Cause I'm just like, I'm listening to, Aww. yeah, it's just a little pleasure. We just love it. We just love it. We, you love to hear it folks. Speaking of, you love to hear it. Speaking of, we got one more thing. Uh, Mason, do you want to talk about the, the feature that, yeah, we, that so we have? This was Noah's and, uh, this is Noah's choice this week. This isn't a movie that I, uh, let's just say it. today's film uh, the 2000 feature film debut of uh, David Gordon Green it is uh, George Washington. Washington. Washington, Washington, six foot eight, weighs a fucking ton. Uh, <laughs> shout out to shout out to Brad Neely. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Maybe we should have maybe instead of it be maybe instead of watching Yearbook for our our short like our amuse we should have watched Brad Neely's Washington, Washington. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that is. I'll show you when we're done. Um, so this is a movie I think. Uh, whose reputation kind of preceded it for me. Okay. Uh, I think I heard about it for the first time on, like, a cracks list, if you could believe it. It was, like... We love a good crack love, Or, like, a, sl- like, uh, or sure. like, a slash film or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Like, underappreciated movies from the 2000s or something. Sure. And I just remember seeing this picture of um, who I now know is Buddy, like, flexing. Yep. Uh, on the railroad the, tracks. Yeah, that's the Criterion cover. Great cover. Great cover, and... Simple, beautiful... I'm sorry. Can I talk about the movie? And yeah. so, but, like, <laughs> I, um... Kind of not put off watching it, but it's always just been kind of this thing that's like, when the time is right, I think I'll get around to watching this movie. Um, 
and the time was right. <laughs> We're doing a podcast. We're doing a podcast. The time could not be more time right. time could not be better. Uh, we just talked about Observe and Report. Yes, um, literally could not be better. It literally could not be better, and I love that we're kind of buffeting this. Uh, our, our, it's, um, sorry, bookending our Observing Report conversation with George Washington. And this is a movie that I didn't know what to expect. Sure. It was on the Criterion channel, so I uh, left my apartment because I can't. sometimes I can't watch an apartment, a movie in my apartment because uh, my sure. neighbors like to clean their apartment and keep it nice and tiny and Aww. play music. Aww. And sometimes that's not the best ideal movie watching. Sure. Uh, context for me. So I'm like, I'm going to take my laptop, I'm going to set up shop at the library and just sit down and watch this. Uh, pulled it up on the Criterion channel and I was like reading through like the little synopsis and I was like, okay, okay, okay. And so I was like, play trailer. I'm like, I'll just take, just like, just dip my feet in. So sure. And just kind of in the right zone for this. Uh, watch the trailer and I love how 90s like late 90s early 2000s independent movies were marketed where you can just sort of like sell a movie kind of on its tone yep um because it was not what you were it was like the tone was the thing you were going to see in a lot yeah, of exactly ways. exactly yeah. it was like uh and then I like sat down and I was watching this movie and I was uh it's it's an hour and 28 hour and 29 minutes less than an hour and a half I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm just like, I'm just like, kind of, I'm just like, kind of taking it in, and I'm like, kind of realizing that I'm getting to the end of this movie, and I'm like, fuck, man, I don't want this to end. I, I know. Just, I don't want this to like. I don't want to leave these people. I know. I don't want to like, like I know that like these their lives are gonna go on, but like I want to just stick around with them. Yep. And the last movie that they, that happened with was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. And I know you weren't a big fan of that. I'm not, but I feel the opposite about <laughs> that's okay, George that's Washington. Okay. Um, where, like, I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for the second time, and when I knew that the ending was coming, I was just like, oh, fuck, I have to... We have to get up. I have to get up and go out with the rest of my life. And, yeah. like, uh, uh, but I think, but I, all to say, I don't know what I was expecting with this movie, and I was just, like, all, like pleasantly surprised kind of the entire time. Sure. Um, and, uh, I loved it. <laughs> that's all I gotta, that's all I gotta say. Great. What's your history with, uh, banging the mic, you bang the mic. We're doing it folks. What's your history with this movie? Um, so, uh, similarly to you, I always sort of knew about it. Right. Because it was actually because of the cover. Like yeah. the cover yeah, 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 was yeah. kind of the thing I knew even before yeah. I really knew what the Criterion Collection was. I would oh, always just, I would okay. always just kind of see it like at a library mm. or something like that. I feel like it would be like, oh, you can rent that. And I was like, why is it called George Washington? Why is it called George Washington? <laughs> I still don't know. That's, <laughs> well, we, we will unpack that later, I suppose. But um, but I, you know, I was like, why is this movie called George Washington? Like being a kid, you yeah. know, like a lot younger, 22. I'm a young, I'm a young guy. But like when I was like a little bit younger, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like 10 or so years ago, I'm like, why is it called George Washington? What is that kid doing? Why is he on the cover? And then it was one of those things where... I think then I really started to think about it when Barry Jenkins did his Criterion Closet video. Yeah. And he yes. said, oh. and he said, this is the second Criterion I ever owned. It was about, you know, young black kids uh -huh. in impoverished areas. And then he said, what's even crazier is that David Gordon Green's a white dude. Yeah. And I said, David Gordon Green. Why does that name sound so familiar? So why does that name sound so familiar? Because he's directed some of our favorites, like Pineapple Express <laughs> and Your Highness and The Sitter. But he's also directed Joe 
and stronger and Prince Avalanche. And the Halloween from last year. Which is crazy. Which is... David Gordon Green has one of the most insane careers. <laughs> Absolutely. And he's related to what we were talking about last week with Rocky because he's in the Jody Hill, Danny McBride consortium. Did you, you know? see that Danny McBride is credited as the second AD in this movie? No, second unit director. Second, oh, second unit director. Okay, yeah. I thought he was a second AD. Yeah, um, second unit director because they all, <laughs> they all met each other. This is before anyone knew who Danny McBride was. This is years before Foot Fist Way. Yes, yeah. this is a full seven, you know, whatever production was, but yeah. like potentially seven or eight years before and so he goes and he does this movie and they all meet at UNCSA and University of North Carolina School of the Arts shout out to the pickles I think that's their mascot <laughs> oh hell yeah someone's gonna have to fact check me on that but he goes and they like all meet Jody Hill Danny McBride and Tim or I even believe who's the DP they all met each other at UNCSA and then Danny said that like David Gordon Green David, to him, was just, like, always doing cool shit. Yeah. And he was like, man, I really like this guy. And I guess they all graduated, like, the end of the 90s. And David's like, hey, I'm filming this in North Carolina. Like, please come out and do it. And he makes this movie. And it's crazy because then he just career takes off. It just just happened. Like, he just – and what is so – I think the cover – even though the cover isn't of George Richardson, who is ostensibly kind of, like – our protagonist, sort of. But the way that the, the the way that the characters' relationships to sort of like the narrative, or like how one would think about like a structure of a film or something, is so interesting because it's narrated by Nausea. Yep, and it's kind. It's sort of through her eyes. It is sort of. It's she's kind of the Nick Carraway, so to speak. He, exactly, exactly, and just George Richardson is this kind of like figure that she's. Fascinated by, enamored by, and like, and uh, the camera is too. And for, for a little bit of context, yeah. For those of you who haven't seen the movie, it's basically about a group of kids who live in this Rust Belt, d- economically depressed. Yeah, rust, and rust is the right word to talk yeah. to describe where they live because there's just I was like sitting in the library and like taking notes just to kind of like keep my mind on it. I just kept writing like decrepit, rust, run down. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it's. And it plays a huge part in the in the film's overall everything. And I love that you brought up uh, Barry Jenkins because, like, as soon as this was done, I know Moonlight's a big movie for you. Huge. And Moonlight's a huge movie for me, too. And that, um, and you can definitely see its fingerprints all over. 100%. Moonlight. And it is kind of about, like, one of the moving things about Moonlight for me is that it's, it's just following through and just, like, really brings to the touchdown, like, a portrait of a kid who uh, kind of grew up Born to lose. Sure. Uh, uh, in all respects. In all respects. And just, like, at the end of the movie, finds this, like, moment of, like, grace and connection that's just so... Uh, powerful. Powerful, and I'm, I'm getting very emotional here talking about it. It's insane. It's insane. Um, but George Washington is more of, like... it's. Kind of, I always think about it as this might be... I don't know if everyone's going to get this first reference, but to me, it's Killer of Sheep meets Terrence Mouth. So I've not seen Killer of Sheep, but that it was another... My knowledge of that movie was also like Killer Sheep is definitely the one that proceeds. It's like the precedent to the predecessor, the predecessor yeah. to um, George Washington. And it, again, it's insane that like a white dude directed this movie. Hundred percent, a hundred percent. And he, and it, it is at this because of how it feels so connected to these people. It's almost like I can't believe that this person does not share that race with who he's portraying. But yeah, at the same he, time, yeah, he's so tender about the humanity. You know, it's so tender. It's, it's so, so nice. It's such a nice movie. It is. It literally is just one of those that like you turn yeah. it on and every ten minutes. But what's like what's what's what? It's like 
the sort of like the plot of the movie of when it's like the inciting incident is just like this terrible tragedy that happens. And you know what's crazy yeah. is I was waiting for that because I so I've seen this I saw this movie about two three years ago. For right, the first right, time. right, right. And I remember thinking, oh, that's the inciting incident in the film, which it is. Doesn't happen until halfway through the movie. Yeah, it's in like the entire other like everything leading up to it is you're just like you're at the train tracks. With like the 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 rail yard workers, yeah, like that group of guys. The guy who ends up going to play Mark Brandon, yeah, Paul Schneider, yeah, yeah, Paul Schneider. Uh, or you're just like hanging out with like Buddy and uh, uh, Buddy and Vernon, Vernon and Nazia Sonia, and Sonia and George, um, George Richardson. Or mostly like kind of following George and like getting uh, George and his his uncle uh, Damascus, George and his yeah. little sister and his wife, who's his caretaker, or Damascus's wife, who's his caretaker, his aunt. Uh, and you just get these like little kind of snapshots of just like their their existence, like, their existence in their summer or whatever. And not to like um, quote McConaughey too much on this uh, podcast, but it does kind of feel like uh, the uh, a memory of a t- of a me- this town feels like someone's memory of a place, and the memory is fading. Sure. And David Gordon Green is just trying his damnedest to capture forever and amber just what the feeling of not even just like the whole town, like it's history or whatever, but just like what this sort of monumental summer for these kids felt like, yeah. or this monumental time in their life where it was like, you know, this tragedy happens. And because the, we're not to spoil it too much, but the town that they live in, it's not, it's not an externally motivated plot. Like it's not like there's, there's a little bit of an, there's a touch of an investigation that you hear about, um, but it's more about like how they all, re- how everyone involved in this tragedy responds to exactly. Um, George sort of adopts this sort of hero persona, runs around in like a, 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 a cape and a cape and his bodysuit and a helmet. It's a wrestling singlet yeah. and a terrible football helmet and, just, and a cape. That's and, probably a bed sheet god, or a and, towel or something. And like, oh god! And Ver- Vernon is the character that just broke my damn heart. I man. know. I just and he has this like beautiful monologue. That's my. Um, and the what's, do you have the IMDb like what's that actor's name? And the thing that's kind of understandable but also tragic about the kid actors in this movie is that they showed up like each of them did like one episode of Eastbound and Down and just like not acted. Damien Jawan Lee. Damien Jawan Lee. He does this. It's like a kid actor does this beautiful. They're unprofessional. Actors, they're unprofessional actors. They're amateur like, actors. It reminds me of like uh, another movie which is like completely destroyed me last year was The Writer. Did you see The Writer? No, but I, I know movie. what you're talking about. And it's like that's a movie that also used largely non-professional actors and Chloe Zhao who was, uh, who was a, a Chinese lady, was able to kind of bridge the language gap and speak to the soul of all of these, these, these professional rodeo, um, rodeo wranglers in southern, uh, like, uh, in South Dakota. Okay. And able to get them to sort of, like, ex- like just fully bear their soul on camera. And David Gordon Green does a very similar thing here, where, like, None of the kids, because you're a kid, you don't know how to say what's wrong with you. You just know that you're feeling bad, yeah. and you know that like you have all these desires and know how to run away. Um, and it's one thing to write that, but it's another thing to direct and for a kid to perform that as beautifully. And I think if you watch, like, if you're curious about this movie, I think try to find maybe uh, 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 try to find that clip. Like, I think of, that of him in the bathroom, of him in the bathroom saying like, "I want to run away. I want to go to China. I want to be this whole new thing." Yeah, because. That is kind of like the capsule scene of the movie for me. In, in, in a lot of ways, it encapsulates the big aboutness of the film. Yeah. Sort of what that movie, what the movie, in a lot of ways, is really about. Um, 
it is one of those movies where it really does take on a life through the interiority of the characters. Which is so hard. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Like, the fact that we are able to jump from character to character and, in my mind, be equally as engaged with all of them yeah. at any given time, yeah. regardless if it's nausea. And to be honest, like, when Buddy is on screen and yeah. you're just like... Oh, I love Buddy. He's just, like, talking about women and stuff and, yeah. like, trying to get advice from, like, these older people. And, like, I don't know the name of the actor, but the guy who's talking about eating healthy who works at the rail that yard... Fucking, that was hilarious. That, that guy's crazy. crazy. Yeah. He's just, like, talking. He's looking at him. It's funny, too, because he, like, looks at Buddy and he's like, you doing okay, kid? And he's like, yeah, I'm doing okay. And it's really quiet. And he says... Is your pee clear? <laughs> and he's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He's like, is your pee clear? I yeah. want to make sure your urine's healthy. And he goes, yeah, it's clear. And he goes, okay, good. That means you're doing the right thing. And it's just like, that's so weird, but it's so probably how they would like actually interact. Exactly, exactly, yeah. I think, uh, so this is, if it's not clear, this is a big time recommend for me. Big time recommend. Yeah. It's probably, uh, I don't know where I want to rank it. I don't know if I even want to get into that. It's one of my all-time favorites. I think it's a real. It is a truly. I think I'm probably just gonna need to come back to this movie when I'm feeling like really down in the dumps, you know? Because it's not like, uh, yeah, like a couple nights ago, uh, I was like sitting at home and I was just like, "What do I want to watch tonight?" And I started watching Rachel Getting Married, the sure. Jonathan Demi 2009 movie that uh, the the Anne Hathaway, and I was watching it and I'm like, oh, "Okay, like I'm with this. Like this is this is Jonathan Demi. I like Demi." It's, kind of mumblecore It's like him doing his mumblecore movie. Interesting. And then I'm watching it, and I'm just like, uh, I'm with it, and I'm engaged, and I'm like, this is such a sad fucking movie. I don't know if I want to watch this, so I put on Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, literally a movie that I think gets added to a very rare group, where I think every single person likes that movie. There's nothing, there's kind of nothing to dislike about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And if you do, uh, take the stick out, stick out of your butt and smell some freaking roses. <laughs> But, uh, listen, I don't know if we've actually said anything coherent about George Washington this entire time. Well, that's the thing, is it's like, it's not like, like an after hours, or, uh... Where it's like, talk about this, and then talk about this, and then talk about this. Yeah, where it's just sort of like, um... It's a menagerie of feelings and images, and the soundtrack in this movie (sighs) is fucking incredible. I definitely think that, like, if you're somebody who, you know, is, uh, if you were big on, like, any of Barry Jenkins' stuff, Moonlight, Beale Street, that's, that's it. Or, or Medicine for Melancholy, which I got on my shelf. I even, think it actually talk even about da- Have you ever seen Barry Jenkins' short film, My Josephine? I haven't seen My Josephine. It's interesting. Interesting. It, okay. it, it's very interesting. Uh, it, it definitely shows you, like, what he ends up doing later on. Yeah. It's not perfect or whatever by any means, but, like, very interesting to watch knowing what comes interesting. later. Interesting. Well, just to say, if you're interested in Barry Jenkins, especially, like, his sort of, like, more... Uh, I don't want to say poetic, but it's a, it feels a little more dreamy, a little dreamier. Yeah, it's similar to like Wong Kar Wai, uh, who was a big big influence on, uh, on Barry, Jenkins. Barry Jenkins. This is just a movie where you kind of have to like surrender no. the fact that there's not going to be a story. Yep, and you're just like you're kind of just watching it to you know either think about like. The people. The people the people in your life, like, these, these times in your life when you just kind of... Because, God, fuck. Like, I watched this movie, and then, like, the next day, like, every... Like, from after to the next day, I was just thinking, like, what was I doing when I was, like, 12 or 13? Like, sure. What was that summer like? What was me? that summer like? And for these people, I think everyone can relate to what I'm about to say to a greater or lesser degree, but it's like, man, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. And it's like, 
will they ever get out of there? That's another answer. That's just a question we don't get an answer to. Yeah. But it's a question that we think we can infer based on how the movie ends. And I don't want to talk about how the movie ends because I want people to watch it. But because of how things are wrapped up, yeah. you get the impression that for some people, they will get out of this town. Yeah. And for some people, they will stay here for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and and it, that's yeah. not something that's really hit driven home. Yeah. But it is something that I think is present. Yeah. And there's a certain beauty to that, but also a certain melancholy to that. Yeah. Of like, maybe they're not pissed about the fact that they're going to be here for the rest of their lives, but the people who want to get out are probably the ones who are going to get out. And then that, then their lives will, you know, continue from there. Yeah. I, uh, I don't think I can recommend a movie more than, uh, (laughs) this, than this. I think it's, it's truly special. I think it's beautiful. I think there's, there's not a lot like it, and anything that I can think of that's like it is just another thing that I kind of love with my whole heart. So sure. this is a big, big full-throated recommendo from me. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, even if you don't like that movies, watch this movie. Yeah, even if you don't like if you, and even if you don't uh, like this, just put on Pineapple Express right after. Just and then really go. just stew in the career of David Gordon Green. It's incredible. These actors are incredible. The soundtrack is incredible. <laughs> you know, yeah, you don't, see, you don't see, you, and I love that, like, it's the, uh, I love that there's, like, a, a readily available, like, kind of criterion of this. Like, sure. it's not super hard to find. I'm sure your local library has it. Probably. Um, so, and if not, get the fucking criterion yeah, free just month. Yeah, blind buy it. Yeah. Yeah, just bl- or, or blind buy the fucking Blu-ray, man. Like, yeah. just... <laughs> Seriously, you will not be sad, and if you don't want it, someone will fucking buy it from you. Yeah, if you don't like it, send it to me, I'll take it. Um, what else? I don't know, man. I think that about covers all I got to say for this movie. We, like, I feel I feel like, and this is not about anything, but I feel like we said so much and yet so little about it at the I same know. time. Uh, oh, but I do kind of want to bring it back to uh, yearbook at the beginning. Sure. Where, like, you know, it's called George Washington, and the only glimpse that we get of the man himself is in this sort of, like, not to spoil it too much, but there's, like, a photo montage towards the end. Sure. And you see a picture of him, you're like, oh, okay, it's like, you know, when they say the title of the name of the movie in the movie, and you're like, oh, <laughs> oh there it is, ha oh. uh, It's like, but then, like, it's paired with this picture of, I think it's George, it's not, I don't know if it's George Washington Carver, but I think it's Harold Washington. Okay. The, who was the first black mayor of Chicago. I would need to see it again. Um, but I love that this movie is blanketed under... Um, the name of this guy that is, if you're a student in America, is told, like, the most important guy ever, basically. Sure. And He's a hero. I think subcon- on a subconscious level, any student in America that learns about George Washington is like, I gotta live up to this guy. Sure. But under the umbrella of that title, it's about these, it's, it's about largely black folk living in North Carolina. And uh, George Washington was a guy that owned slaves. Nice. Um, and it, I think there's a little bit of a... It feels like... A, and I want someone else smarter than me to like go deeper into this, but it feels like there's a little bit of a reclamation of that Interesting. name. Interesting. I think. Because George Richardson is never called George Washington, and I don't think he's... Never. Like, he's called a hero a lot. Um, and he... Uh, the whole movie, he's kind of... He doesn't not tell a lie, but he's... Um, hiding the truth. Yes, which is a lie of omission. A lie of omission, yeah. And he is um, putting on an air of of of, uh, 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 superheroes, of like sort of omnipotence. And, and not to spoil anything right, either, right, right. but to me, I interpret that as he's trying 
to overcome the thing that happened. Yeah. And there's one specific incidence with a kid at a pool. Yeah. That is like kind of the reason why his life starts to shift. Yeah. And it's like, oh, but this other thing happened that was so not supposed to happen. I don't, I hate to fucking bring up, uh, I I hate to bring up Woody Allen on a podcast. Uh Oh, but ding, 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 ding. Uh, here comes a, someone just get the canceled alarm ready. Uh, but (laughs) it's, the thing that happens to George is very similar to like kind of, uh, to, it's weird. It's almost the same emotional conclusion as uh, the Martin Lando character in Crimes and Misdemeanors. That's really an interesting comparison. But do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, do you I understand? Do. Um, I do. But, but I think that um, it feels stuck almost. It feels stuck. But I think that when, I think that George might actually. I, I think that this, transcended a little I bit. Think, I just think George might have transcended a little bit. And the thing with the Martin Lando character is that it, it just feels like I'm like, well, no one's gonna catch me for doing this, so yep. I might as well like not worry about it. Spoiler alert for fucking, I guess, crimes and misdemeanors. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, like you know, George, George is able to transcend it in a lot of ways, whereas Martin Lando actually reverse those characters in that movie kind of meet in the middle, and then you realize one's going up, one's, one's not. going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Great movie. That's probably my favorite Woody Allen movie. To be that's honest, that's kind of, and that's also like I think in like the in the uh, the whole Woody the whole pu- uh, late two thousands context of Woody Allen and our present context of Woody Allen. Sure, uh, that's an easier. That's one where he's like dealing explicitly with guilt, and I think is a, in a way that is uh, informative to his character and his persona. Okay, <laughs> that I think might hold. It might hold up. Alongside maybe Annie Hall the best because there's you can kind of uh, 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 divorce. I don't know. I think Crimes and Misdemeanors is an interesting movie. Maybe we'll cover <laughs> the Woody Allen podcast. Oh, God, fuck me. <laughs> no, we're never doing the Woody. We're Allen never podcast. doing the Woody Allen podcast. Um, what else do we have? What do you want to plug? What do I want to plug? Uh, you plug my other podcast, The Bar, and a podcast about The Shield, where I talk about another thing I think is kind of undervalued, which is the TV show The Shield. About 40 episodes deep onto that, so catch up from the beginning if you want, or join us right now and then start from the beginning if you want to watch the show. We had your co-host on an episode of this podcast. We did. My co-host Connor was on a couple episodes ago to talk about uh, Royal Headache and uh, Miami Blues. Yep. Uh, other than that, I'm on Instagram at HotDogDebicki and Good Sky Tonight. That's tonight spelled T-O-N-I-T-E. And I'm on uh, Letterboxd. Uh, like I, you know, like I've been doing, I'm not going to plug myself. I'm just going to plug other things that I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to plug Videotech in South Pasadena, Woo! which is a movie rental store. I just rented some stuff from there before I came. I rented the first season of Strangers with Candy, oh, which I've never seen. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. I can't wait for you to watch that. I'm excited. And then I also rented Boys in the Hood. Nice. Because I've never seen that either. Nice, so. nice. That was the first movie I ever watched on Netflix streaming, by the way. Oh, wow. Yes. I think mine was Reservoir Dogs. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, baby. Hell yeah. Uh, and the good old days of 2012. And I'll, uh, I'll also plug similarly cinephile video in West LA. Gotcha. Off Sawtell in Santa Monica, another great rental place. Both great. And uh, that's what I'll plug. I like awesome. those places a lot. Thanks for listening, everyone. Oh, wait. Please. Can I plug one more thing? Please do. We're about to be on an episode of our producer's podcast called Vague Booking. He is uh, driving to the studio as we speak. He texted us while we were recording. <laughs> Fuck you, Carter. <laughs> Never. <laughs> uh, it says, gotta get gas, so maybe a few minutes behind. 25 and minutes ago. Come Whatever. on. Uh, That's so it. Keep an eye out for that when it comes. And again, if you... Uh, Hopefully that we, uh, by this point, hopefully we will have known if we are on merry-go-round or not, and you're listening to us anyway, so, uh, yeah, keep listening, we'll see y'all next time.